Well, good morning. How are we? Okay, before we can give thanks for the introduction, and actually so many of y'all uh, reached out kind of in the time after January 17th, so we really appreciate it. I appreciate it personally, and uh, our church really appreciates it corporately, as well as I know many of you uh, felt a loss, uh, the same loss we did in some really real, real ways. Give has given me permission, which I'm very thankful for, to take a little bit of time at the beginning to talk about downline. All right, so I think there's a slide that's going to pop up. There it is. I'd love for you to apply. That's about as blunt as I can be. Uh, we're starting the new institute year coming up in August. Uh, last year, we had 150 students from 33 different Memphis churches that we had the opportunity to train for nine months just trying to uh, shoot for this goal, that you'd be competent and confident to go into any context and make disciples that then multiply from here God willing, to the ends of the earth. And so if you've ever wondered what's the Great Commission actually calling us to do, how do we engage in disciple-making, what are the pragmatics of it, and then spending nine months being saturated four hours a week in God's Word from teachers all over the country and all over the city. Gibbs really kind. He teaches several times in the Institute every year. I would just encourage you to apply. We're filling up. We've probably already got about 130, 140 applications for this coming year, and so we don't have a ton of spots left. And I'd love to have some living Hope people join us for this upcoming downline year. So there's my plug. Thank you for humoring me. As we look at the scriptures, Genesis chapter 12, beginning verses 1 through 6, we're going to look at uh, Abraham. Okay, the text is going to read Abram, but his name gets changed around 17. He's known as Abraham, father of faith from there on out. So I'll probably just say Abraham as we go this morning. Our text will read Abram. And we're going to look at this very beginning of God's interaction with him and call of him, we're going to look at a just simple line of a call, a promise, and a response. And in looking at that, I think, hopefully, we'll see some of ourselves and maybe even be stirred, God willing, by the Spirit in some new and exciting directions. I'll tell you, I had a chance to share some of this. We're going through Life of Abraham at Harvest this summer. Some of this about a month ago at my own church and... A guy reached out and wanted to have lunch a few weeks after. said, great, no problem. He really wanted to process the Abraham sermon. Found out at lunch that he had sold his house. He had bought a fifth wheel to tow behind his truck. And him and his wife and his three kids were now going to tour the country, living in a new place every 10 weeks. And I'm not sure that's the exact application <laughs> we were going for. But hey, wherever the Lord leads. Right, so Genesis 12, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. It's going to be really important in a second. Your father's house is a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 6, those are the very words of God. Uh, Father, we do ask that you would be pleased in this time to shape us more in the image of Christ, uh, that we would hear clearly from you as we acknowledge that the Bible's from you. And it being from you, it is trustworthy, it's authoritative, and if we come and disagree with it, uh, shape our perspective because we're necessarily wrong. 
Uh, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Genesis 12, this isn't going to be earth-shattering. Genesis 12 comes after Genesis 11. Now that's important. If you're familiar at all with 11, probably the most prominent part of that story is the Tower of Babel. If you were to read through the Tower of Babel, there's a little bit of a recurring idea in that it's the people were gathering. So God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Uh, they reverse that. They're fruitful. They multiply, but then they congregate in a singular area. And in congregating, they decide we're going to build the greatest city the world's ever seen. At the center of that city is going to be a tower, and the tower is going to go up to God. And in that, the refrain over and over again is, we're going to make our name great. Now, as you begin uh, chapter 12, you're going to see God calling a singular man, and God says, no, I will make your name great. And as Genesis 11 ends and Genesis 12 begins, what you get is this collision of this human obsession with all the things that we think are possible. It's the glorifying and what seem to be the unending limits of humanity, putting humanity at the center and worshiping all the things we can be. God then uh, reaching in and disrupting that and then calling one person to go after the very people that he just disrupted. So you now get kind of humanism colliding with God's grace and saying, I'm not going to let y'all do that. And so as everyone is then scattered to the ends of the earth, and you know this, any school teachers here, anybody that's ever served, I don't know if y'all's kids' ministries like Harvest, it's just a zoo. Uh, and if you've ever served back there, what do you do when you have humans congregate bent on destruction? You separate them. That's what God does. And his way of separating is by changing their languages. So they then separate. They spread to the ends of the earth. And in chapter 12, God says, I'm going to call one man. And through one man, I'm going to build a nation. And through that nation, Isaiah 49, they're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And so through one man, he's then going to go after all the nations of the earth to bring them back unto himself. And so as we get to chapter 12 and he's calling Abram, we got to know a couple things. Abram is an active idolater. Okay, so he is only geographically situated in the scriptures in two places, Haran and Ur of the Chaldeans. And historically considered, both of those places were uh, central locations of moon worship. So Abram's not a believer. He's not walking with God. He's not even looking for God. He is in active idolatry until God speaks, God calls, God disrupts. Now, that should sound a little bit familiar to us, right? That is you and me, not seeking God, not looking for him, not walking with him, actively engaged in our own idolatries until God does what? Speaks, calls, and disrupts. And that's what he does here. So God, finding him in the midst of all the, the moon worship and pagan idolatry, God says, Abram, go from, and here's his uh, three things, your country, your kindred, kindred, and your father's house. So at the moment he calls him, right? we could say, if we wanted to use some uh, New Testament language, this is the moment that, that Abram is converted. It crosses over from death to life. God now knows him, brings him close, and then God says, I need you to follow me, and in following me, it's going to cost you three things. Country, kindred, and your father's house. 
Now, if we were to look at nomadic culture during this time, here's what we would find. The only way you survived was by staying in your country, staying with your kindred, and remaining in your father's house. Because in nomadic culture, the clan was everything. Nobody left. In fact, to leave was certain death. So as God is calling him, this is not as simple as uh, you know, God calling us from you know, Memphis to Nashville or Nashville to Dallas or you know, Austin to Houston or as big as those transitions may be. When he first calls him here and Abram goes back and tells everybody what happens, he's going to be met with the ideas of, you are crazy. Abram, if you leave, you're going to die. That's the weight of this call. But God calls him. And the second we're going to find out that he goes. But in his call, and I think we'll find the same thing is true of us, if God's ever called you to a transition, and by the way, I am uh, Memphis considered an outsider. Okay, I'm not from here. Grew up in Auburn, Alabama. My wife's from Longview, Texas. Now, what I'm about to offer, please hear me, it is not a criticism. We're thankful for our time here. We've met great friends. We've loved it. I'm offering an observation, okay, not a criticism. I think what we're about to say preaches pretty well in this culture because Memphis is not a transient city. Okay, so it's not like, so I've had the privilege of living in Austin, living in Dallas, living in Memphis. One of the distinguishing marks of difference is that other large cities are largely transient. So you get lots of people that aren't from there living there, and you connect over that over and over again. Well, here, most people are from Memphis, and their parents are from Memphis, and their grandparents are from Memphis, and please hear me, there's some really good blessings that come with that. But one of the difficulties that comes with that, too, is this first part of Abram's call. There's a geographic reality that it's really hard to pry some of y'all up out of here. Really hard. And if God calls and God stirs, actually leaving a specific geography can become quite difficult. That's the first thing he calls Abram to do here. He uproots him. Now, he's 75 years old. This is home for him. He knows every uh, ravine, every rock, the way the sunset looks on all sides. I mean, this is home. Right, and many of us know just from our own experiences, there's some geographies in some places that once we get there, stress levels just drop. Right, there's a familiarity. Uh, maybe you vacation to the same spot every year, or uh, maybe it's your own house here, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's Pickwick for some of y'all, even though I hope you don't get in the water. You never, you know, whatever it is. The levels drop. There's a familiarity that brings a sense of home. And when God calls, just know one of the first things he may say is, you got to give it up. The geography that makes you feel at home may be part of the cost. And as God starts to bring Abram into this reality, just note the only clarity God gives him is what he has to leave behind. Have you ever noticed that? He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he's going to find when he gets there. He has no idea the dangers he's going to encounter along the way. The only clarity God brings when he calls right here 
is everything he's going to leave behind. Okay, so the first is his country. country. And then it goes into the idea of kindred. Kindred, that idea you can just expand to uh, every relational connection that makes somewhere matter. This is every significant figure in his life other than who he's going to take with him. And God says, hey, you've got to leave those relationships behind. Now, if a place doesn't feel at home geographically, oftentimes, regardless of where you are, it can feel at home because of relationships. So not only is it calling to a geographic cost, there's an immediate relational cost to what God's calling him to do. Right here in March, uh, so earlier this year in March, what is that, three, four months ago, uh, we took a 10-night, 11-day, 1,800-mile road trip from Memphis to Laredo, Texas, and back, right, with all four of our children, right, and then nine, seven, five, and three, and I didn't think they'd all come back with us, but they did, And so the first stop we were making, so I was officiating a wedding in Laredo, Texas. And so we made our way there and then made our way back. Well, our first stop on that trip was in McKinney, Texas, my favorite suburb of Dallas. And so and my wife knows that, so we're going to go to McKinney. We're going to stay a couple nights. just kind of the way to kick off spring, spring break. So we're getting there, and we pull in. We finally make it. We pull into the Airbnb house that we're going to rent. And we pull in the driveway, and I'm looking at it. I've been married 10 years, and I haven't learned not to say a lot of things, but I learned not to say what I was thinking in that moment, which was, Shanna, this house is way too big, and we could have saved a lot of money. Why did you get this one? So I'm staring at it, thinking, uh, my five-year-old daughter, Kyle, gets out of the Suburban, runs up to the house, punches numbers on the keypad, opens the door, and I'm sitting there going, what is happening? She is either going to rob the Louvre one day, or so she gets into the house. Now, she's inside this house. I now assume we're at the wrong house because there's no way we should have gotten in without the actual code. So I go chasing after her. I walk into the house, and there's the silhouette of a man standing inside the house, and now it's me and him and my daughter. Okay, now in a fight or flight mode, I'm usually fighting. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to win, okay, but I wasn't going to fly out of there. So, you know, my adrenaline's pumping. This guy's coming out from the corner, and my daughter's over here. So walking out of this way comes uh, the best man from my wedding who lives in Dallas filming us on his phone. And so I'm looking at him and going, you're an idiot. Why are you here? Filming me walk in. So he comes there, but he lives in Dallas, whatever, coming to see my family. Well, then out of this corner of the house comes one of my childhood friends from Auburn. And he's walking out of this corner. And now I'm going, why would you vacation with my family in Dallas? Then down the steps comes another friend. And over the next about five minutes, Eight of my closest friends in this life, from Denver to Oklahoma City uh, to Auburn to Dallas to Birmingham, come out of every corner. And Shanna had set up this huge surprise 40th birthday a weekend for me. 
And after two days with those guys, I was reminded that that depth of relationship does not come around very often, does it? And after being saturated in that for two nights and three days, leaving that, you kind of feel like a part of you is getting kind of ripped open again. God tells Abram, leave 75 years worth of that history behind. You may never see them again. You may never have that conversation around that fire ever again. It says you leave behind the geography, and you got to leave behind the relationships. And then, then, he says this, and your father's house. Now, that's not a redundant statement on relational considerations. Uh, to, to leave behind your father's house, that's language for you drop every single thing that's ever given you meaning, value, and status. Because in this culture, you are who your daddy was. Being attached to your father, that was your name. That was your significance. That was your status. That was your value. What God is telling him is, when I disrupt you, okay, when you cross from death to life and I call you, everything that used to give your life meaning, value, and purpose, that's no longer the main thing. You get a new name, new identity, new significance, new value, new purpose. He is literally ripping Abram up from anything that can compete for his allegiance to God alone. You know the craziest part of the entire story? Abram does it. He actually goes. And keep in mind, this isn't some mature you know, believer. He has not been walking with God. This is a baby, uh, spiritually speaking. And he goes. And if you're like me, you're asking yourself, why? How? It's because he knew something. He knew the promise was always greater than the cost. Now, we need to hear that. Because if we're in tune with the Spirit, and we're open-handed before God, and we haven't drawn up these artificial guardrails of what God can and cannot call us to, we need to know that walking with Christ is going to be disruptive. It is going to call us to lay down all other things that have given us meaning and significance. It's this open-handed surrender, which is exactly what Abram does, the surrender. And God calls him, but he gives him a promise. And God's promise to him is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a family. Through you, all the nations on earth are going to be blessed. And then God says, and I'm going to go with you. And as God begins to stir and maybe call some of us to new, difficult things, we've got to remember the promise was you say, Matthew 28, I am with you always, always. Even to the end of the age, the promise outweighs the cost. So Abram knows this here. And he goes, look at it with me, verse 2. Here's the promise I'll give you. I'll make you a great nation. Now, this is a man who's had a barren wife. He's 75 years old and no kid. Uh, think of the outrageous nature of the promise being made. I'll make a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. 
that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families that are shall be blessed. And we're going to unpack uh, all of this. Just know uh, God promises them three things here, uh, two of which is an de- immediate descendant. And then uh, Paul would say Galatians chapter 3, the seed, the, the promised seed for Abraham is ultimately the person of Christ. So he begins this lineage, this promise lineage that Christ is going to come from right here. And the blessing, Paul says, in Galatians chapter 3, is the gospel. That it is, Abram, through your line, someone is coming. That someone ultimately is going to be Jesus. And it is through Christ that salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation to God is offered to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Let's keep going. Verse 4. So Abram went. Here's the response. So we've got the call. Right? Calculate the cost. When God immediately disrupts us and calls us to something, the clearest things we see are everything we're leaving behind. Call, promise, response. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then look at 5 and 6. He took Sarai's wife, Lot his brother's son, all their possessions they had gathered, the people they had acquired, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, he built an altar at Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Why does uh, presumably Moses, uh, the author of Genesis, go into great detail about everything Abram took with him? It's significant. He's got his nephew. He's got some family members. He's going to take a lot of servants. He's going to take all his possessions. Because when he left, right, and as his father's house and as his kindred are watching him depart right across that wilderness to go to the land of Canaan and they see everything that he's taking with him here's what hits them he's not coming back there's nothing to return to he's taking it all this is complete utter surrender no backup plan but he's not he's not hedging his bets He's not keeping a little place back in Iran and a couple bank accounts to go back to just in case things don't work out. He's taking it all. And it signifies to everyone around him there is no return. He is walking with God, forward-facing, no contingencies. And so he leaves. He's called. He's given a promise. And he leaves. Now, as you read, if you were to read from Genesis 12, really through about 24 and 25, and you keep looking at his life, you're going to realize that this right here is not a smooth journey for him. That he's going to fight wars. He's going to have to rescue his rebellious nephew. He's going to lose family. He's going to sleep with a servant at the beckoning of his wife. He's going to lie to two different kings about the identity of his wife. He's going to stumble forward in this walk of faith. I think we find ourselves in that reality as well. He's going to face famine. So what keeps him going? We know he's got a call, and the promise was big enough to kind of get him going on the journey. But as you read his life and walk alongside him, what keeps him going? Amidst all the difficulty, right, all the hardship, all the trial, all the tribulation, 
This is where, actually, if you were, you don't have to flip there, just make a note. But in Hebrews chapter 11, right, so we get this call in Genesis 12. This is kind of the external logistics of it, right? God calls, Abram goes, here's where he's going, here's what he's leaving behind, here's who he takes with him. Hebrews 11 actually lets us inside Abraham a little bit to his mentality, to his mindset, and to what keeps him going when things get hard. Hebrews 11 uh, reads this way, by faith, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, not knowing where he was going, which, by the way, have any of you ever tried that? Guys, you ever gone home to your wife and gone, babe, we're moving. Okay, where are we going? Not sure. If this is me, I ain't doing this. I need some answers to some questions. I want to know what the Canaanite school district looks like. Right? I promise you, Shanna is on Zillow looking at all the houses in the area. Like, we're going to get some data before this, not Abraham, left without even knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. So, hey, here's the promised land. I'm going to make you a great nation. But when you get there... You're going to live like a homeless person. Now, he wasn't hurting. He was pretty wealthy, but nothing permanent. You're intense. Abram, you're going to feel the reality that earth is not your home. So God moves them. God gets them there. Finally gets to the land of promise. How did he do it, and why did he keep going? Here's the explanation, verse 10. For he was, that's Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So when God disrupts and he calls and he says, hey, you've got to count some geographic costs, you've got to count some relational costs, you've got to count significance and identity and value cost. what's going to keep us going when things get hard and we don't know if that cost is really worth it is we lift our eyes to a future city that has not yet come. That's his point, is that when things on earth get exceedingly difficult and exceedingly painful, we're to remember to lift our eyes a little bit and know there is a better world coming. Now, we're not there yet, but it is promised and it is guaranteed. And it is one where planes don't crash. Right? It's one where people don't get sick. It's one where crime disappears, that people don't get kidnapped out of their driveways anymore. It doesn't happen in that world. And so when things get hard, what, we lift our eyes to a future city. And that future destination is a determining factor for how we interact in the here. And then now, when I was 21, just turned 21, I was working at a, a summer camp. I don't know. I might have shared this story with y'all or not. I get real forgetful. My wife reminds me of how forgetful I get. Uh, so if I've shared this, just humor me. But you've probably forgotten anyways. All the preaching statistics say I could come next week and share the same thing, and you'd, it'd be the first time you ever heard it, okay? <laughs> uh, all right, so I was working at a Christian camp in Branson, Missouri, the Christian Las Vegas, and we were, uh, we're going to leave Branson, uh, myself and three other friends, so four of us, 
It's going to be about three weeks before school started back at Auburn. So we were going to go three weeks out west, out west, drive back, get back to Auburn right before school started. So the first stretch of that trip was Branson, Missouri, to the Grand Canyon. Right, and that's a, That was a 24-hour stretch. So four of us, six hours apiece, were driving the entire thing without stopping, just, you know, food, gas, bathroom, keep going. And so we're going, and we're all through the night, and we're making great time. We're on a great pace, you know, eyes on the prize, and we get to Flagstaff, Arizona. Anybody ever been to Flagstaff, Arizona? Just okay, so a handful of you. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, clean, really pretty city, uh, a really nice landscape. Doesn't get all the extreme heat that most of Arizona does. We were infatuated with Flagstaff. So we stopped there, we eat, and as only 21-year-olds can do, who think they know things and yet know nothing, we look at each other and we say, why don't we just stay here? I mean, they've got a college right there. I mean, we don't have to finish school. We'll just get jobs. And we used to have this whole lunch, like, debate over the benefits of stopping and living in Flagstaff, Arizona until one of the four of us, the only one that went on to be a doctor, looked at us and said, hey, guys, we can't stay here. We're going to the Grand Canyon. This is not our final stop. So we get in the car and we keep going. Now, why do I tell you that story? That in a microcosm is a little bit of what can happen to us in this life is that we get to a spot and we kind of start looking around and going, you know what? I'm going to kind of make this life all that there is. And I'm going to get inundated with this world and these circumstances and these people and these resources and these benefits and these material possessions. And I'm going to get so saturated in it that I'm going to let an operating mindset be, if you know me, you couldn't possibly think I believe there's anything other than this world by the way that I live my life. And all of us need that friend to kind of come in and say, hey, get your eyes up. This is not the final stop. That this is Flagstaff, Arizona. There's a final destination. And Abram kept going because he knew the final destination. And if we can keep our eyes kind of fixed in that direction, that will change how we interact in the here and now. Amen? So in the call of Abram, we're going to get God finding a man in the midst of his idolatry, and he calls him and he disrupts him. And that's true of you and me. Now in that call, if we want to use Jesus' New Testament language, he's going to say, count the cost. So when Paul prays for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 3 that Christ would dwell richly in you, there are two different words he can pick for dwelling in the Greek. One is to rent a room, and one is to own the home. And Paul picks the word that means to own the home. So when Paul prays that, he's saying, hey, I want Jesus to own you. And yet when he calls some of us, all we want to do is rent him a room. Abram's saying, or in the story of Abram, we're going, hey, we can't live like that. It's complete surrender. So he calls, he disrupts. The cost is really clear for Abram. Geographic, 
relational identity. So it's going to cost you those things, but the promise is greater than the cost. Abram responds, and when things get difficult, he continues for one singular reason. His eyes are up, and he knows there is a city that is to come. Would you all pray with me? Now, God, if you are, in only the ways that you can, stirring any of us, maybe to new and uh, honestly difficult, scary things, disruptive things, uh, the preeminent uh, call along those lines is, is disrupting our, our unbelief, drawing us out of sin into yourselves by grace through faith in Christ alone. And then as you call us, that Christ really would dwell richly in us, that he would own the home of our lives, that there may be some things you ask us to leave behind, and it hurts, and it's hard, and it's scary. Help us to believe the promise is greater. And, as is easy for me to do, Father, if, if our eyes are too much on this world, would you in your kindness and the power of the Spirit, would you just lift them up? That you would help us navigate this world in light of the city that is to come. We praise you. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen.